Today's sponsor is Sneakers, a DC DMV sports apparel company. Go check out their very cool designs at sneekis.com. Hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and at checkout, enter Pixel and Roll and get 10% off your order. Also, in the process, you help support independent media. So go do it. Thanks a lot. And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam McGinnis. What is up, doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show. We discuss a team, a Gasol and Westbrook 3, away from 8-9, but alas, 6-11, and 11, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is December 2nd, 2016. Hope everyone had a great holiday. You got some stuffing, some cranberry sauce, potatoes, some pie. I ate a lot of pie. Uh... I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, but we are back discussing this basketball team on today's episode. It is me and Rashad Mobley discussing the last four games of the Wizards, the Magic, Spurs, Kings, and Oklahoma City contests that have happened in the last week. We go on and talk about negative and positive things about this team. We go in depth about what has been going wrong, what is going right, our thoughts on the future, the state and current dismal state of this franchise. And we try to give some positivity, uh, but a lot of real. So thank you everyone for your support. It is a long conversation, but it's very entertaining and it is also free audio content. So this is me and Rashad Mobley discussing your favorite basketball team. With me today is a man that I know drank a lot of red wine over the holiday break. And his little kid looks really cute in his school pictures. Cuter than him, Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, what is up, bro? How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I, I love the backhanded compliment, man. Keep him coming. <laughs> he he looks a lot older. I mean, how, he looks really old in that picture, by the way. Niles, yeah. for, for those wondering, how old is Niles? Tell, tell the people. Not- Niles will be five on December 22nd. He looks at least six or seven in that photo. Maybe that's a big ass smile. And he, his favorite player used to be John Wall. He's, he's now transitioned over to Bradley Bill since he got the, uh, Bradley Bill action figure. And he's still salty every night that Nene, who was on his lunchbox, <laughs> is no longer on the team. Well, tell him I'd rather have Nene uh, than Mr. Jason Smith for uh, $60 million, but we will get into him. How, how was your, your holiday, man? Uh, did you eat a lot of pie and food and stuffing like I did myself? Um, I, I, was, I ate moderate fashion. My mother came and cooked, but I was very uh, conscious of the fact that I didn't want to overdo it too much. So we froze most of the food, and this concludes the domestic portion of the podcast. Yes, it did. <laughs> it, it did. Football? I mean, I was, I was, you know, ate a lot, you know, watched some football, didn't do much. I was down in Orlando at my sister's place. So it was like 80 degrees, man. So it was, I, was, I was loving life. Show off. Show off. I know. I, I like, I like, I like to uh, needle the people. But, yes, let's end the domestic section and go to this team. Oh, Rashad, where do we begin? They are your Wizards. Yes, your Washington Wizards. They are 6-11. and 11. 
They lost last night to the Oklahoma City Thunder. But let's go back uh, since we've last podcast. They beat the Magic 94-91 to in Orlando. I was actually at that game. I will tell the people about Bradley Beal choking Evan Fournier. I was about 50 feet from that. Uh, very, very funny, interesting tidbits. I will let the people know. Uh, after that, they lost to the Spurs on Saturday night at home, 112-100. to You were at that game and covered it. Uh, Monday night, they lost. They beat the Kings. My bad. It, they sh- it felt like a loss, but it was a victory. They beat the Kings 101 to 95. Uh, Garrett Temple and Boogie Cuggins back in the district. You know, Boogie and John Wall and all that entails. We will get into that as well. You were at that game. Uh, what a slop fest that was. And then last night, like I mentioned, they lost the Thunder, a very winnable game, uh, 126 to 115 in overtime. So two straight overtime games. Rashad, uh, before we go into these games, because you know I want to get into these individually, especially the the two that you covered, uh, just your overall feeling of these last four games. How are you feeling currently of of this team? It's. I, mean, I think the last time we talked, I felt uneven because I felt like there were minutes restrictions and everyone was healthy, and now I just I'm settling into the notion that this team is not good. And when I say not good, I think they're the Knights' best team in the Eastern Conference right now. There's just, even when Beal is rolling and Wall is rolling, you just feel like something is missing. We'll get into that, particularly with the Oklahoma City game. But I just don't have the sense that this team can get on some kind of roll and really gain some momentum because you can only do that if you don't think this team is deeply flawed, and I think they are. When I was watching the game, the Oklahoma City game last night, I just felt like they had enough around their best player that they could just hang around, hang around, and hang around until the fourth quarter, and then the best player could strike and get you over the hump. And I just I don't know if this team, and Oklahoma City can play like that every night if they wanted to, save for against Golden State and the elite teams, but against the mid-level to bad teams, they can do exactly what they did last night, whereas the Wizards, I feel like, Heaven and earth have to move, and everything has to go right for them to win. And I have always felt like that about the Wizards. I mean, I felt like last year and the year before, they could kind of mail it in, and then you could count on somebody to swoop in and win it. And so all of that just has me feeling like this team is just not very good. Yeah, it's tough because aside from the with the Boston win, every game, the losses and the victories have been a slog. They don't go on cruise control. You feel like they're still missing something. The bench is still a mess. You know, we've been waiting injuries here and there. And when things come together, there's still something missing. And we'll get into what, what, you know, we'll keep saying we're going to get into that because we are. Uh, we're going to say some negative things and positive things at the end of this podcast after we dice up these four games. But I have an overall sense of I'm kind of torn. Last night in the Thunder, I felt both things. I felt oh, defeatist. The Kings game, I felt defeatist. Spurs was a clinic. And the Magic game, I was there in person. It's still at the end, they pulled it out because John Wall was pretty freaking sensational. But still, the Magic are just such a weird team, dude. They have like four players. I have no idea what Frank Vogel is doing. Like so many of the same type of players going on. Alfred Payton is not a point guard. He's, he's not a starting point guard in this league. And, and John Wall was just better. And they should have been. But still, it had to come down to John Wall making plays at the end of the game instead of just being a 10-15 point victory. And I feel like that is what has been uh, aesthetically unpleasing about this season. At 6-11, and you can only really point to one game against the Celtics at a 17 where they jumped on them and they, it was in cruise control. 
The rest of these games, it has been a slog. They've been blown out. They've been disappointing losses or tragic defeats. And then even the victories are somewhat, you know, I guess maybe the Hawks victory at home, but that was before the Hawks really got their momentum and their rhythm. I can't really point to any victories. Can you? That you can be like, okay, that was the Wizards firing at full cylinders. Like, this is this group that Scott Brooks has. Like, 17 games in the season, like, I really can't even point to anything. Can you? I can't either, but part of that is say what you want about Mahimni, but they haven't had their full roster of players, so you don't even know, you know, what a good team victory really looks like because you haven't, even Scott Brooks admitted it before the Kings game, he hasn't seen, I mean, I'm sorry, before the Spurs game when he actually did play, he hasn't had an opportunity where he has all his guys at his disposal and he can start tweaking lineups. I mean, he has these moments where he puts in really good lineups and he feels like he's rolling and then there's some kind of setback. There's a hip with Otto or, you know, maybe Bill hurts himself. There's just these little things that prevent him from really being able to flex his muscles in terms of substituting and developing a rotation. So in fairness, I don't know what you know, I don't know what a good team victory looks like because we haven't had the whole team at our disposal, which is not an excuse because it's the NBA and people get injured, but for a new coach and a new system, you need there needs to be some continuity. Like I'd like to see a two to three week span where everybody's healthy. He knows exactly what he wants to do and he can start doing things like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have Mahimi and Ubre play here and maybe I'm going to put Wall on the bench and have Bill. You know, he can just do a lot of different things without worrying about, okay, who do we have tonight? So it feels like, like instead of having a tweak here and there, right? Like playing your hand, like it feels like every night it's like, it's like he's like reshuffling the deck. Right. right. Yeah. You exactly. know, instead of just like, oh, I want to play this card here and there, pick my spots. It's just like, okay, what am I throwing? Let me just throw shit at the wall tonight to see if the second unit, who do I got? Right. I'm going to put in Nicholson, right. put in Thornton. I'm going to put in Ubre. And some, sometimes it's working, sometimes it's not. But there isn't some like, okay, yeah, like these are the eight or nine dudes. And obviously Mahimi is a big part of that. But there still feels like there isn't this semblance of a rotation at all. And so it's really hard to see them get their legs. Uh, of this team, right. and, the, and the thing is, that's not even that's not even saying like okay, like Cortez played okay, Wallace played pretty well, Beal has been coming on, Otto is playing the best he's ever played in his life, Ubre has played the last couple of games the best he's played, so it's like we can actually point to things that are like wow, this is going good, but something is still off, right? Right, it's not all clicking at the same time, or the right people aren't clicking at the right time. Uber played well last night, and perhaps this is a good time to get into it so we don't have to keep dancing around it. But, yeah. you know, it's just not it's not coming together. And you're 6-11. I mean, you can't sit here and tell me that the Knicks are demonstrably better than the Wizards, but the Knicks have a much better record, and the Knicks are feeling much better about themselves because they feel like, okay, we put 2-3 together, we're moving right on up to Eastern Conference standings, whereas, you know, I don't get the sense with my team, so our team. Rashad, have you ever watched the Wizards on the road? No, I have not. I wanted to. Shout out to the PR people around this fine NBA of ours who don't give me a media pass when I try to get one. And I've never watched it on the road as a fan either. So um, there's a small chance I may watch the Cavs, Wizards, and Cleveland if they ever play again. But no, I haven't. What's it like? going to contact the Orlando Magic, the PR people, and try to go to shoot around and and, and go early, but I, was, I took my 16-year-old nephew, and it just didn't work logistically, you know, to go to shoot around, it's, especially I wanted to watch Ohio State, Michigan, too, by the way, <laughs> and so, so I wanted to watch college football and eat leftovers, <laughs> so I was going to be like, let me go interview these guys for 20 minutes at a shoot-around, and, and my, my sister lives 
about 30 minutes outside the arena too. So it's going to be logistically kind of hard. So then I finally was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to cover the game. I'm just going to take my nephew. So fired up the Seat Geek. So, you know, Seat Geek, if you're listening, uh, you want to sponsor this podcast, uh, feel free. Fired up. Now they talk about how the Wizards games, you know, they mock about how you can buy tickets for five, ten bucks. Dude, you could buy an upper nosebleed seat for this, this Wizards Magic game for like $12. <laughs> no, no, still the ones down below were expensive. So I ended up getting, I sat behind the hoop of the Magic Bench, uh, back ways and it was 40, 40 bucks, 44 bucks for two tickets. Uh, I ended up in the second half because, um, uh, um, you know, it's not my first rodeo. So I spotted some open seats and I went down and I was about 15 rows behind the hoop. Uh, the hoop that the Wizards actually, uh, in the second half were at right by the Magic Bench. So, uh, right where, like I mentioned, uh, Evan, uh, Fournier got a chokehold by Bradley Beal after Ubre and Bismack Biombo got into it. And, and we can go into that too, but but overall, it, it was weird in the sense that uh, I was the only one uh, in a bullets T-shirt uh, for sure. There was maybe I saw five Wizards uh, jerseys throughout the arena. Uh, the arena is really nice. I mean, it is what five six years old. The Amway Center downtown Orlando. Uh, the other thing that was kind of neat is that you walk into the arena and they have their post. So they have the you know like the Comcast pregame show, postgame show, like outside. Because it's like 80 degrees. <laughs> of course. So of, so, course. so, of course, they're outside. and There's no real bars around it, which kind of sucks. You have to walk a little bit of ways. There's like a freeway because, you know, obviously it's like commuter type of city, even though they have like a train there. But I've been there before last year uh, to see the Celtics magic the last last Thanksgiving. But it's, I mean, like I said, the, the arena is five, six years old. Really nice. The thing is that I think is really cool is that they have this like Orlando magic, like, like Hall of Fame area. So you walk around the corn course and then you come to this area and it's like Penny Hardaway, the first day of the magic, Nick Anderson, like their whole history. They have the jerseys and Daryl Armstrong and then they have Shaq Shoe. So I took a photo against Shaq Shoe. Of course, it was just like, you know, bigger than both of our heads combined. And they, 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 they kind of respect this history, which I think is neat because I don't, even though the Wizards, maybe they don't have the space for it. And they do, you know, they've done some stuff, but I'd like to see them really embracing their history. But it, but it's weird, too, because the Magic, their history is, I think it was, what, 89? So, you know, it is still right. 25 years, and, you know, they made the finals twice. So they have the photo when they beat the Bulls and the Jordan, and, you know, Nick Anderson was actually the, it was Brian Hill and Nick Anderson were the ones speaking outside with, with some, some other announcer, and I, I told my nephew, he was like, hey, that's the coach of the team, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so the arena is really nice, and they have a uh, free uh, free refills when you bought a, a nine dollar soda. So that was great. The only thing that I'd really just talk about before we get into the game, uh, two things about the arena, three things. The jumbotron was amazing, right? It's a new jumbotron. It, it blows it blows away the Wizards jumbotron. The in game, you know, Rodney. I rip on Rodney a lot, even though when Rodney talks before the games, like I think there's like a uh, hundred people in the, in the stadium. Uh, so if when he, that. yeah, if that, so he talks a lot and, you know, him and that pepper girl talk and whatever, you know, Rodney's a nice guy or whatever, but I'm not a big fan. The, the people with Orlando magic were worse than Rodney. The guy was like, so tonight is the magic and the wizards. Like, oh my God, the wizards and like rolled his eyes. I was like, yeah, bro. Really? Like, like your team's called the magic. We're called the wizards. Like he was making fun of the wizards name. And I was like. I, I got no time for you. My nephew even looked at me and was like, yo, what's up with that? I'm in the second level. Dude, no cup holders, Rashad. How do you have a new arena 
five, five years old and no cup holders in the second section, but down below had cup holders. I'm pretty sure you should have cup holders all over. So there's my complaint. Uh, their mascot is named Stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen Stuff. So Stuff is this green kind of mascot. You know, once again, you know, I'm not going to really rock with G-Wiz that much, but Stuff is this green mascot. So you know how we be at games and they do those things where, say, it's the Wizards Bulls, right? And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's a Bulls fan in the crowd and here comes G-Wiz and he throws confetti at him, right? And it's like, it's like an intern pretending to be a Bulls fan in Bulls gear. So they did that routine at the game. Dude, they did it seven times. Like they literally did it like two times, like almost, like, yes, almost eight times, like two times each quarter. And since it was Thanksgiving holiday, they would have pies. So dude, my nephew at first was like, he thought that like, that he'd be like, let's find the, cause they'd be like, the whole place would go quiet. It's a timeout. They'd be like, let's find the Wizards fan. It's, they, they, they go to stuff. He's up the aisle and then stuff would just come in and like slam a pie in someone's face. And they were like, okay, that's funny. Blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, they kept doing it, dude, over and over and over. And I started getting annoyed because I'm like, you know, one of the 10 Wizards fans in the place. Uh, so we moved down and Vucevic, let's talk about the game. So the Wizards come out, they're, they're, they, dude, they're crushing them. It was really bizarre because the Wizards could not make a three-pointer, but the Magic were so bad. And the Wizards were winning, like, I thought they were going to blow them out. They're up like 24 to 8. I think they were up 26 to 14 out of the first quarter. The Magic come back because in true Wizards fashion, the bench sucks. And, you know, it went back and forth and Vucevic just destroyed fucking Gortide. He couldn't do anything. Uh, Beal didn't really shoot that well. Wall was unstoppable. He put, he put Peyton on a freaking yo-yo a couple times on some moves. They could, they had no answer for John. And, and Beal, Beal, like, you know, he had some playmaking things here and there. It was like Jeff Green was playing, dude, dude. Okay, do you remember the, uh, like, we want auto chance that would happen at the Verizon Center? They have, we want Gordon chance. I remember. We want Gordon. Like, Aaron Gordon. Like, why the fuck is Aaron Gordon? Like, what are you doing, Frank Vogel? Like, Jeff Green is in the game. Bismack, Biombo, Jeff Green are in the game over Gordon. Gordon didn't even start. Wow, this is weird. Like, I guess Ibaka starts. I thought Ibaka, like, broke his, his, his like, hand on a, on a dunk once, but... It was back and forth, and, you know, the Wizards, you know, made some shots at the end, and made some, John Wall made some clutch free throws, and I'm glad they got the victory, but it was, it was weird because it reminded me sometimes of those Wizards games, even before Arenas, honestly, dude, like, like the Jordan era, or even just like, you're just like, all right, this team's just, I don't know, like, they don't suck, but they're not good, and people are just there to see some halftime entertainment and get their burrito or t-shirt. And be on their way, you know. It was really bizarre. Yeah, what, 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 was your, what, was your, what was your take of the game? I guess I was just I was frustrated when they went up nineteen, and I felt like okay, I, I just knew the game wasn't over, and I I was like okay, I wish they could just keep the starters in just a little more, maybe stretch the lead to twenty five to thirty to put it really out of reach, so that Wall and Bill and the rest of the starters don't have to go back in. And I just I don't know how it feels to Scott Brooks to know that as long as your starters are in. You're in control against Orlando, at least. But you definitely can't overplay Wall because he's, you know, you still want to be mindful of the surgeries. And with Bill, you're scared that something is going to happen because it always does. So you don't want to play him too long, but you do want to kind of get that victory. As we were talking before, 
you want to get that decisive victory under your belt where, you know, for once, you want to have one of those games where you win it in three quarters, you put the bench in for a quarter-long garbage time, and you feel good. And I was just sitting there watching, like, there's just no way that's going to happen. As soon as they take Wall, Beal, or both out, Orlando's going to start chipping away, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, Jeff Green always plays well against the Wizards. It doesn't matter what roster he's on. And, you know, Orlando is that kind of team. Say what you want about Frank Vogel. They're scrappy, and they play hard all the time. I mean, that's one of the traits they had under Scott Skiles, too. And it just, they always play the Wizards tight. And I just found myself thinking, okay, you know, John Wall or Beal, they're going to have to come in and they're going to have to save the day, and they can do that. But again, and we'll talk about it as we progress through the other games, but you just want to get in the habit of the starters coming in, you know, getting to a certain point, and then the bench coming in, either holding or extending the lead, but not losing it, not getting it to the point where the starters... I'm jumping ahead, but there was a point in the Oklahoma City Thunder game where Bill went to the bench and he wrapped up his leg and he thought he was going to be sitting down for a while. And then, they, you know, the game started getting away from him and Scott Brooks had to call Bill in the game hurriedly. And you see literally at the scores table, Bill is trying to unwrap his leg and hurry up and get in. That's how the season has gone. You just want the starters well, to be saw, able to we rest. Saw, so. we, saw, we saw that in the Knicks game, right? We- you know, at the home game and the victory of the Knicks where they had a big lead and then he had to put all the starters back in at the end. Right. And so against Orlando, I just felt like maybe they can stretch the lead long enough. And you think a 19-point lead midway or a little past midway in the third quarter, I mean, that's not, you know, you're not going to win the game, but at least you should feel like, okay, let's take the starters out. Even if we lose 10 points off the lead, if we can start the fourth quarter and we still have a 9- to 10-point lead, I can leave my starters in. I mean, I can leave my bench in for another two, three minutes, and then I'm good. By the end of the third quarter, they were, the lead was down to four. And so, I mean, it's, yeah. So that, that, that was my takeaway from that game. It's a game you're supposed to win. And, of course, Wall is going to come in and win it for you. But you just should, they should be able to have a signature victory against a team like Orlando, and they cannot. Yeah, especially when they jumped on them. Two things I want to mention before we go on to the Spurs game is that, okay, so this is the return of Andrew Nicholson and Jason Smith. They came in the game, no claps. None. They didn't even, they, you didn't even know that they recognized. They announced March and Gortat when he came out for the Wizards starting introductions. Dude, there was like a bunch of people standing up and clapping. They love this and March and Gortat still in Orlando. Well, in fairness, you know, Gortat did, he was on the team yes. and went to the finals. And Andrew Nicholson and Jason Smith don't exactly bring it out of. But I mean, yeah, I, I, guess, I, I, guess, I guess that this is the second game they played in Orlando, right? So maybe they did clap. I just thought it was striking that when they came in, they didn't care. And yes, Gortat is a very more instrumental player. But I, I thought it was bizarre that I mean, Gortat hasn't played in Orlando in four or five years, and these dudes are still cheering for him in introductions, like like noticeably cheering. I thought that was that was interesting. And another thing that the, that the, the Magic do very well. Is that all of a sudden out of nowhere, they'll show the glory days. Like, they'll show Shaq. They show Penny. They show Grant Hill. I mean, dude, they show all these players. And they they show Tracy McGrady. They show Gortat. Like, so they had a montage of showing, like, Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson and Scott Skiles. And they showed Gortat. I was like, wow, you included Gortat? Dwight Howard. They even had Dwight Howard. Not He wasn't featured. You know, he was kind of a throwaway. But I was like, wow. Did they, show Gil- did they show Gilbert Arenas? Uh, Gilbert Arenas was not shown at all. Oh, uh, uh, Nick, Ander- Nick Anderson missing free throws in the finals was not shown as well. <laughs> I was ready for those jokes. So Ubre goes up for this breakaway. The, him and Biombo kind of got got tied up. And I watched it. I actually had a, a, I have a photo of it. And what happens is is that Ubre kind of like shoves Biombo, but like accidentally. 
And then Biombo just shoves him hard back. So then Biombo shoves him hard back, and then Ubre turns around and is like, yo, yo, well, first of all, like, come on, Spider Kelly. You want no part of Bizback Biombo. Let's be honest, right? But this is like a typical NBA fight. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of nowhere that they're going, and Bradley Beal, I didn't see the choke at the time, but then there was a replay. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they gave Biombo and Ubre a technical and then gave Fournier and Beal a technical. And Beal kind of came in there. So then all of a sudden, the actual argument was between Beal and Fournier. And about 10 minutes before this, in real time, Beal got like held on Fournier, like, like on a double screen around the block. And they finally called it. And Beal was demonstrative. And you could tell Beal and Fournier do not get along. They, they did not like, like each other. And Beal turned around. Someone's chirping at the bench. Beal turns around and him and somebody on the bench are having a long conversation. This literally happened 10 minutes before this encounter. So Beal was kind of salty. Like he missed some open shots too. It was one of those things too where maybe it's a compare, I don't know if it's a comparison to John Wall, like, you know, bumping that ref, but it was like, he didn't really try to choke Fournier, but then his hands ended up on his neck. And I don't think he cared that his hands were on his neck. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't like, I'm going to choke him intentionally. He was kind of pushing people and his hands just kind of be on his neck. And then he was like, all right, well, you know, I'm not going to let go. Uh, you know, Bradley Beal did not get suspended, not get thrown out of the game. He got, what, I don't know, $25,000 fine. But that was an interesting aspect of the game. And so now we, we move on to the... Spurs, yes. Spurs. You, 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 you lead me off, Rashad. So the Wizards lose 112 to 100. Uh, it really wasn't that close. You were at the Verizon Center the next night, Saturday night. Tell the people what happened in that game. Well, it was funny. Before the game, someone, I believe David Aldridge, asked... Uh, Greg Popovich about his bench and, you know, Greg Popovich wasn't, you know, he was kind of nondescript about it. He was like, yeah, it's okay, but my bench was better when I had a young Ginobili. He was like, you know, that was a good bench. This bench, you know, they're still feeling each other out. They're still learning how to play. And then the bench goes out and they're amazing. I mean, Patty Mills was scoring in bunches and it's like, the thing, the thing I noticed about the Spurs bench that you don't see about the Wizards bench and part of it's the system, part of it is the players are more experienced is everybody knew where to go. You know, it was akin to those electric football games where you can turn the base just a certain way and they'll go exactly how you want them to go. Like, that's how the Spurs were going. I mean, Patty Mills knew if he had the ball, go down the middle. If he didn't run to the corner, somebody would find him. You know, Jonathan Simmons was always kind of the trailer on the fast break, knew where to get. And it was just it was just a methodical ass-whooping. And I was just watching the contrast of benches. Now, mind you, you remember both teams were playing the second of a back-to-back. And so I thought that favored the Wizards. But Tony Parker was killing John Wall. I mean, he was absolutely killing him. He was going by him. You know, the hesitation dribble that John Wall has where he fakes one way and then goes the other way quickly. Tony Parker did that to him. He was rubbing him off of picking rolls. John Wall was inexplicably trying to run under, and Tony Parker was killing him. And I just, you know, part of it was the Spurs of the Spurs. But the other part of it was the Wizards just were not playing intelligent basketball, and the bench for the Spurs was playing more effective than the starters for the Wizards. And so at some point, you just realize that the Wizards have nobody like Jonathan Simmons coming off their bench. They have nobody like Patty Mills, players who could very well start for some teams, and they're coming off the bench. So, you know, and Bradley Beal kind of pissed me off after the game with this kind of defeatist quote. I mean, there's genuflecting, and then there's just saying stuff like, 
they have a system and they do what they do, which is just kind of defeatist to me. There's none, none of that. Like if Draymond Green was asked about the Spurs after they lost, he may say something like, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time like us. They're no better than us. Even if he doesn't really believe that, you just want to hear that out of your team. And Bill, after the game, just basically said they're better. They do everything better. We have to get to that level. And Scott Brooks talked about I'm happy about why I'm happy how we competed. I just didn't, I get the sense that they were like, these are the Spurs. Of course we're going to lose. Instead of saying we were right there and we've done this, this, and that. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was frustrating. And I didn't even mention Sadoransky, who just, you know, he, he, he seems wall? to have, is he hit the wall? He hit, he hit, he hit the wall earlier than any rookie has ever hit the wall ever. Yeah. I mean, he, he feels like his confidence is shook now, don't you think? Um, I think. Are they scouting? Are they are they scouting? Are they are they scouting and being like, all right, dude, play off him and make him shoot. Don't get up on him because then he's going to drive by because he has some quickness and his athletic ability. And I feel like they're daring him to shoot, and then he he's not confident to shoot, and then when he does shoot, he's not been able to make it lately, and then he's not been able to get back, and he's been in bad positions. I mean, he hasn't been bad, bad. He hasn't been like Trey Burke bad, but he hasn't been good lately. But I, I think he's suffering from Kevin Serafin syndrome and. That you know, when he makes a bad play, Brooks gets him out of there quickly, and he's not allowed to kind of you know. I feel like Sadoransky, especially from watching him in preseason, he needs to know he's going to be in there for a certain amount of time, and he needs to get comfortable. And he just doesn't get that time. I mean, he yes, he's not great defensively, and there are some lapses, but the one thing he still does for the bench is he gets players where they need to go. Oh, he's a point guard. He's a true point guard. Like, right. He's looking, so, he's looking to run the offense and pass the dudes for sure. So it's better than having Thornton in there, and it's better than having Trey Burke in there, who Trey Burke and Thornton just kind of get there. It's like Sanaransky gets everybody where they need to be, and I feel like Scott Brooks should overlook some of those defensive lapses and take what's on the other side, but he doesn't get that chance. No, so, so if he messes up once or twice, he's out of there, Like much like Whitman did to Serafin, and that – so every time you come in the game, you're not thinking, okay, I got 15 minutes to make the magic happen. You're thinking, don't mess up, don't mess up. And Let's look that right affects here. him. And I guess the Spurs, that, that was definitely playing. Jonathan Simmons had 15 points, 4-4 four, four from free throws, 5-6 from the field, 23 minutes, plus 11. Patty Mills, 4-7, 3-5 from 3, 13 points, 4 assists, plus 13. And then David Lee only had 4 points, 20 minutes, but plus 15. And those were the three cogs. And then you look at the Wizards bench. And you got Jason Smith, negative 10, plus minus 4 points. Uh, Yamahimi, minus 11. Burke, plus 2. Sadoransky, minus 4. Thornton, minus 17 in 15 minutes. And, and Nicholson, 7 minutes, uh, plus 2. I mean, 2 points. Well, right? we have to throw out Mahimi because this was his first game back. And yeah. it looked like he had just been freed from... He looked like Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. Like he had just got out of the chamber. He didn't know what the hell was going on. So I'm not... I don't hold that against him, but... You, I mean, you just said the stark contrast between benches. I mean, Patty Mills just came in. And mind you, the night before, Adam, the night before in Boston, Patty Mills had 19, David Lee scored 15, Jonathan Simmons didn't really have a great game. But they went hard the night before. And they come out the next night, and it's like it's like nothing happened. Mind you, they play a little earlier. They, they Their game ended about two, three hours earlier than the Wizards. But... That doesn't matter. Every, everybody has to travel. Everybody has to, you know, there, there was just a huge disparity. But I don't want to just blame it on the no, bench. No, no, no. Let's, let's go to Tony Parker. He was 8 of 13, 20 points, 3 assists. He did have 3 turnovers. And then Kawhi had 19 and Aldridge had 24. But you're right. Tony Parker, he, you know, he's lost his step. He only played 27. He, he scored 20 points in 27 minutes. 
And Danny Green only had six points and took four shots. You know, Kawhi was 5 of 14, didn't shoot well. 8 of 10 from the free throw line. The Wizards hung early in the first quarter, and the Spurs got a lead, and then it was cruise control, right? Like, exactly. I, I mean, that's that was my take. What before we move on? What was? Uh, did you ask Pop any questions? Were you scared? I'm always scared. I I did not. Kyle did. Kyle asked him about. Uh, he prefaced it by saying, you know, Wall and Bill famously did not or allegedly don't get along. Have you ever had any players who don't get along? And Popovich was he just kind of chuckled. He was like. No, I've never had that. I've never dealt with that. I've never, never had that. I maybe would try to ask uh, him about uh, Trump or, or some political question. <laughs> well, Adam, it's funny you say that because Hall of, that? Famer, Hall of Famer David Aldridge Oh, D- him, D.A. can for sure. He's got the credence to do that. Right. He asked him what kind of, you know, fallback or what kind of attention have you gotten since you basically, after the election, you slammed Trump. And then four weeks later, you slammed him again. And Popovich was like, look, I've, I expected to get feedback both good and bad he was like he was surprised by the diversity of the feedback meaning he's gotten letters he's gotten phone calls he's gotten emails but he said basically he said to get to my age you really don't care you speak your your piece and then you let it go so he was just you know he didn't really seem too phased by it he was before the game he was very i mean everybody's timid you know it's like battered kids you're scared to say something because you think he's gonna bite your head off so it started off slow but he was very relaxed after the game he was a little cranky. He complained about a camera light in his face, and even though they won, you'd have thought they'd lost. So I, I didn't ask him anything, uh, especially after the game. He was very, very short with his answers. But the question I was going to ask him is, where did you take your team? Every time he comes to D.C., you know, he's taking them to the Holocaust Museum. He's taking them to the African Art Museum. He takes his team's places, and Michael Lee asked him that, and he was like, yeah, we didn't do anything. This is our fourth game in seven nights, second game of a back-to-back. We just wanted to rest. Yeah, he didn't have time. You know, he probably would have maybe gone to the new African-American museum, right? I still want to go there. But I heard tickets are, tickets are ridiculous, dude. I heard he can't even get in on the lottery till like, March. Yeah, I'm going to have to hit up Michael Dyson or something to so get a hookup. Yeah. I, you know, I tried to get I tried to get tickets for my mom when she was here, and just the line it's like it's like Springsteen is coming in town. Yeah. You just yeah. can't get can't you know, get tickets. Well, I think you can go like they release ones day of, but you got to do some you got to fight the tourists at like 7 a.m., dude. And, right. I, and I'm not I, that's, like that line. I don't want to do that, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, God bless my history. I'm not getting up at five hours in advance to stand in line. I mean, I'm just not. It's not going to happen. So. Dude, you, you, should, you should see the guys selling shit down there, though, man. They're, those guys are working. They're hustling. They got T-shirts. They got, they, got the, they got the food trucks all around there. It's like all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like I was there on a Sunday with my parents, a couple weeks, the Saturday, Sunday before the election, and, we, you know, we were just hanging out. Uh, we went to another gallery. We're walking around, and I, and I already knew I could have tickets, so we were just chilling there, and it was like, man, they had to hustle on, dude. They had the T-shirts. It was like... <laughs> I was like, wow, like this is where the money is. Like they know that people are going to be there. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, 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 Rashad. So, so I, I fly back Monday night. I get in, get home about 7.30, flip on the Wizards Kings. And I'm going to meet a buddy to go watch uh, the Packers Eagles game. Uh, sorry that my Packers took your Eagles out. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is the man. Uh, and we'll, we can talk about that. I'd like to hear your comment. Uh, and no, thank you. Okay. So, but dude, so I turn it on and literally, dude, it was John Wall had like eight turnovers and no points at one point in, in the second quarter. It was the sloppiest, ugliest game. And, and I hadn't been that defeatist in a while. And so I just sent out a tweet 
And I just said to the people, I was like, listen, man, we can blame the players, blame the coaches. They got, they got per blame. But the reason this team is playing like this is because of the decisions made by the owners and the management. I just want to keep like, the focus on because it was just really, dude, the Kings at home who had played in Brooklyn the night before. So they played Sunday night. Here it is, Monday night at home against, they hadn't played in two days, the Wizards. And they look like shit in the first half. Like they didn't even care. And some of these turnovers of John Wall, and I will defend John Wall and all this. Some of these turnovers he was making was just careless, like disinterested. Body language was terrible. And, you know, and of course the Kings are not that good. So the game was still close at halftime. And I go meet my buddy and I watched the game. Uh, we were at Public Bar in DuPont. And so they had the Wizards game, the Packers Eagles on the big one. And, and I watched it all, and of course, then finally the Wizards, you know, Beal hit a bunch of threes, and they have this lead, and I was like, so I stopped looking at the TV, the Wizards are up, what is it, I don't know, 8, 10, 4, 5 minutes left, and then I look up, and it's like, shit, dude, the game is close again, and they're making bad plays, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, Boogie Cousin puts on his Boogie Cousin turbo boost, starts destroying people, making some crazy shots, and, and the Wizards now are in overtime. You know, Bradley Beal, it's a, it's a big three in the corner, and they end up pulling away and winning. But once again, it's just like the Suns game, dude, that I've podcasted before about that I was at. It's like, sweet, they won. Oh, wow, we beat the Suns at home. We beat the Kings at home in overtime. Like, I don't feel good about that. Now, do I feel better? Like, Because if they would have lost that game, I would have tweeted up a storm and went all nuts, right? But then it's like, yo, dude, so they won that game, but really? Like, really? Like, you were there. Tell, tell me your opinion of that game because I just gave you my uh, random-ass take. Well, one, before the game, uh, me and Ben Standig and this group of people, and your boy J. Michael, talked to uh, Garrett Temple. And, you know, it was, it was good catching up with him. And he was saying that he pretty much knew he wasn't coming back in the offseason just by the way things were going with the team. And he said it was it was good to go. He said his experience with the Wizards the last time around helped him with the Kings because he knew they were going to be a team that was still young and still needed his leadership, and he liked having a set role in this team. Um, so, and he also he talked a little bit about Wall and Beal about how you know their relationship had been a little more contentious two years ago, and you know a few years before that, but how last season he didn't notice anything, how they got along well and everybody was playing well. Uh, and then he said he, he doesn't talk to Wall as much, but he does talk to Bill. And he said when he found out about Bill and Fournier, he called and made fun of him for getting fined for that. So it was, it was, it was good talking to Garrett. Um, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good dude. I really like Garrett. Very good. I mean, he didn't play all that well offensively, but defensively, he did a number on Bill in the second half, just kind of made him work a lot harder for shots. Uh, but you know, Boogie was the reason why the Kings were in the game. I mean, you know, before the game, uh, Scott Brooks was very specific about what he wanted. You know, he wanted the Wizards to help Gortat out. And Gortat did not play a bad, didn't play bad on defense. I mean, he played good position defense. It's physical, but he's not as strong as Boogie. He's not as quick as Boogie. But nobody else was stepping up. And like you said, on, on the other side, John Wall just, and this is where the body language comes in play. So John Wall would come down the court and he felt like it was almost as if, if he made one pass, during one possession, he had carte blanche to come down the next possession and just a shot. And he was just taking bad shots. He was dribbling in the crowds. And, I mean, at one point, I just was looking up and I said, get it to Bill. Like, Bill was hot. Bill was playing well. Porter was open. 
and he was just taking a lot of he was forcing a lot of things that weren't there bill was hot and he was keeping them in the game but it was it was a very sloppy game on both ends like there was aside from boogie and bill nobody looked like they were really engaged 47 turnovers rashad combined 24 yeah. and 23 <laughs> it, it it felt like more. It felt like more. And it, it John point, Wall had 11, the game, 11, but, uh, 11 fucking turnovers. He had 11 assists and 11 turnovers. I'd like to see the last time that that has happened in the NBA because that's ridiculous. But he, you know, he had some timely assists and he had some timely points. No, they, yeah. They yeah. were in that situation because he, he just kept throwing the ball away. You know, once again, they had a lead, but they you could just tell at some point, between cousins and gang, they were just chipping away at the lead. They were just scoring at will, and you know it's during that time when you you would have liked to have seen someone else on the Wizards play consistently, someone step up, and you know it 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 just wasn't happening. Now the reason why they won is that in overtime, Beal played better than Cousins. I mean, Cousins was exhausted. You could see it towards the end of regulation. Yeah, but in the well, overtime, the, King, the Kings the Kings only had three points in overtime. The Wizards outscored them nine to three. Right, and they got that three their last three points. I think just over a little over under a minute left and so they just ran out of gas but after the game just talking to cousins he was just he was blown he was like we lost the game because we let bill bill had this one possession where he shot three got the ball back he missed it got the ball back and hit a three and you know the kings were feeling like had we stopped bill on that one possession we would have been within two points going inside of a minute and we could have won the game and it's just another Oh, go ahead. No, no, let me mention, well, I want you to keep going, but let me mention Cousins' line because this is also a crazy line. He was 16 to 34 from the field. 34 fucking shots. One of six from three. He should never shoot six three-pointers ever in a game. Three of ten from the free throw line. 20 rebounds. <laughs> Four assists. Two steals. One block. Five turnovers. Five fouls. Plus minus plus six, thirty six points. So he went from thir- he went thirty six and twenty, <laughs> missing seven free throws and, and shooting thirty four times. Like that is an insane but, line too. But let me tell you, those threes were not bad they threes. Weren't forced. They, they weren't, weren't forced? bad threes. They weren't out of the context of, of the offense. In the pregame, he shot threes and he was making a lot of them. And every three that he took in the flow of the offense was right there. Gortat wasn't going to come out there. Nicholson wasn't going to come out. And Jason Smith wasn't going to come out because they were so in the first half. Basically, what he was doing is he was drawing whoever was guarding him out. And he was going behind his back. He was going through his legs. And he was going right by everybody for layups. So so at some point, when he went out to the perimeter, they didn't come with him. And they left him alone. And he hit threes. I mean, he was he was he spent all night setting them up, either drawing them out to drive by him, or drawing them out, you know, to see what they were going to do, or just running into the post. And I mean, he was he only went to the line ten times, but Adam they could have called about fifteen to twenty more. Yeah. And the crowd was getting restless, and Scott Brooks was getting upset. But every single one of those fouls, he was fouled. They were head fakes. He got Jason Smith. He got Nicholson. He got Gortat. Oh, they and he were was frustrated. They were early, so, the Wizards got in early foul trouble as well in this game. Oh yeah, Porter. His momentum was was he picked up his fourth foul at a bad time. I mean, it was just it was it was an ugly ugly game. A win is a win. I understand that, but it's just. It, it it wasn't the kind of game where you could really feel great about about what you did. One more point before we finish this game is, all right, so we had the whole KD to DC for obvious reasons, right? But now, mm-hmm. but now, you know, Jake Whitaker had a good post on Bulls Forever. Now the speculation 
all these comments of, I guess, were you in the locker room before when Boogie was interviewed with these players talking about, like, so they asked him, like, are you going to play with John Wall? And he says, like, well, I want John Wall and Bledsoe to come play with me. I'm on a group text, and I text them all the time, which I thought was funny because we know that Boogie wants the hell out of Sacramento. I mean, that's not uh, speculation. It, it, it's similar to it's similar to when people would say, like, Russ and KD weren't friends, and then all of a sudden everyone would be like, no, they're friends, they get along, and then we obviously were like, no, everyone was right. <laughs> Russ and KD actually did not like each other. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to say the whole Beal and Wall thing, but... Were you there for the comments before the game or after the game? Or just what is your take of this whole Boogie Cousins uh, being traded? Or now Wizards fans, after he goes for 36-20, and 20, now there's this similar movement to feel like, okay, Wall. And I got I got some hot takes of what I feel about Wall and Boogie. But, hey, Wall and, Wall and, Wall and uh, you know, Cousins. Like, no one can control DeMarcus. And, you know, Wall is best friends with him, so he can, which I I can dispute. But it's it's a narrative that's true in the sense that the Kings are a mess. Boogie probably needs to be traded. And then now you have this game and his comments. So just your take on all that. I didn't hear the comments. I just saw, I mean, literally I was sitting in the media room when I saw Candace Buckner tweeted. And it was just, it was predictable. I mean, sometimes I see quotes like this and I think that, the players are just the media just like watch watch what happens here. Yeah, oh um, yeah. It's like catnip. Like but, he knows he can say that, right? Like Right. It's like a bus driver driving up an extra block to watch people run after the bus. I mean, I just think that's part of the mentality. But also if you're friends with somebody and you play with them in college, why wouldn't you speculate on scenarios by which you could play together? And in this case it's not far fetched. I mean, it's not as un- improbable as trying to figure out how to get Bosch, LeBron and Wade on the same team. Yeah. I mean there is there's nothing that can happen in Sacramento that's going to push them to the next level. But he's but I'm he's sure but, he but out. no, but he's trolling in the sense that he knows that John Wall doesn't want to live in Sacramento. His people, his crew, does not want to ever go to Sacramento. He's not going to leave the nation's capital to go to Sacramento, and he knows that Bledsoe is not really that great. I mean, he's a good player, but he's not on the caliber of John Wall, right? So it's just funny yeah. that he it's funny that he was trolling the people in that. It's like, whoa, why don't I mean I wish I would play the audio right now. People listening to this probably have seen his quotes where it was before the game and he's they were asking of him and John Wall ever talk about playing. He's like, Yeah, I want him to play here. He wants me to play there. Let's be there. Like and they're like, No, 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 no. Like seriously, like like <laughs> you're like John Wall is not playing they didn't say like, Come on, dude, you know John Wall is not playing Sacramento. Like the reporter couldn't say that, right? But that's what he was trying to like dance around to, to ask him. And Boogie was just being Boogie and saying those things. And those quotes got picked up by the blogs. I listened on Balmonte Jones's show. He was talking about it. I mean, Bill Simmons the other day on his podcast talked about trading John Wall, which was ridiculous. But he was using these Boogie cousins quotes and shit. Two questions. Do you think one... Who could who would the Wizards have to give up to get Boogie Cousins? Does it make the Wizards a better team if they have to give up a shit ton of people? And then, do you believe that John Wall can actually be the Boogie Cousins whisperer that is inferred that he can be? I'm skeptical on that. No, I mean, I, number one, I I think that in order to get Cousins, the Wizards would have to give up Beal. Number one. One. For sure, for I sure. I don't think that. And to give up Bill, you'd have to, either you have to think that Grunfeld stays a number and you just want to do something to blow up the team to make your mark as the owner, which is what Fairy Tell Leonsis would do. Or maybe if you're Grunfeld, you're convincing Leonsis, look, we, we got to make a drastic change. We're headed down the, th- 
But even no, 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 set the Grunfeld and Alliances part out because I have a take from them. Just you as a bat, like you're in charge. We're in charge. Would you okay. do this? Yeah, oh. yeah. Set that aside. So you got to give up Beal. He's an Ubre or Porter, no, probably Ubre in, in, a, in a draft pick. Or I would I would try like hell to to cart out a package of uh, Ubre. Gortat, somebody else, and, and a draft pick. And then we probably, probably, and they probably have to take on like a bad contract of theirs as well, right? Like Rudy Gay, maybe. Right, right. But I don't. I would not believe John Wall if he came out of his mouth and said, "I can control him," because a player like Cousins just does. He's not driven by okay. I'm with John Wall, so I'm going to control my attitude. He's just an emotional guy, and even when he was having a killer game the other day and he was getting all, all the calls the one call he didn't get he would go ape shit and he would just pout and he would do all this and he was you know John, John Wall's so, acting just as bad as Boogie these days <laughs> if you want to know the truth can we, can we see yeah, that yeah but it's it's, it's a little different because Boogie has acted the same way since he set foot in the NBA. That's John true. Wall That's true. Is, is recently just acting like this but well John, John no, no, Rashad like John Wall actually shows happiness like like when he passed and made a great pass at Gortat the other night, it gets a thunder. We're gonna get in the thunder after this, and then John Wall's flexing, all excited. I don't really see Boogie ever getting excited for anyone else. I don't even give him, see him getting excited. Maybe he gets an and one and he gets pumped up, but his body language—he just doesn't seem to be like a fun dude you want to play with. Even though you know he's a beast, right? Even though like Boogie and John right. Wall's murkiness against the refs can be—you can argue—or somewhat similar. And I was making that argument. But I don't. But at least John Wall has this other part of his game, happiness for other teammates, or like entertaining the crowd, or like you know being humble in certain certain standpoint. Boogie, I don't. I don't see that. Boogie just seems like he's just like, yo, man, I'm really good at basketball, and it's kind of miserable. I'm kind of miserable that I'm this good. <laughs> but even if they got Boogie, Adam, you're, you're still in the same situation. You still have a, basically the same scenario where you have two all-star players and, and a shitty no bench. bench. And a shitty bench, right? Right. So it's just it's, it's a lateral move. It's, it's a lateral situation. But what I was going to say is, we were talking about Ubre earlier. Ubre is kind of a punk because he will he will get in people's faces who he knows he can't beat up, and everybody will come around and pull people away but he has this he has it in his head that he's a tough guy so at one point he and boogie went up for a rebound i'd say boogie had about 80 percent of the ball and ubre had 20 percent of it and came down and you know they, it was a tug of war and then boogie just ripped it out of ubre's hand and ubre kind of shoved boogie and boogie shoved him harder and he just got in, got in boogie's face and i was like but you know, what are you what are you doing like what, sure. what are you trying to prove don't poke the bear bruh don't and poke just, the beast you're 20 years right. old. Don't poke the bear, bro. You know how he's like. You're 20 years old and you're 170. Yes. If that. Like, what, what What are you doing? So, but I, I need it's to go back. It's your second, year in the, your second year in the league and you're dealing with a fucking, the biggest beast all-star. I mean, is he not the best post player in the league? Uh, yeah, he is. Right? He is. I mean, he's on a shitty-ass team, but I can't think of another player. Because it's not like Dwight or Anthony Davis. I can't think of another dude. You're just like, okay, if I give this guy the ball on the block... It's like he's either going to get fouled or like he's going to make it, right? I can't think of any other player right now currently in their prime that than Boogie right there. Can you? Right. No. No, he has it. Before the game, Coach Brooks 
he wasn't not even in a diplomatic way. Like he kind of was coming down on Ubre, saying that the reason why he had played, I think he played three minutes the night before, is that he was not coming. You know, Brooklyn on for a couple minutes. He was like, when Ubre is on the bench, that is his time to study what's going on in the game, study to see who has the hot hand, see where he can go, get his spots, and come into the game ready. And he was like, that's why you come off the bench. I used to come off the bench. That's how you do it. He's coming off the bench and trying to use the time to feel his way into the game, and he, he can't do that. And if he continues to do that, he's not going to play. To Ubre's credit, against the Spurs, he came out, I mean, against um, the Kings, he came out right away. He was aggressive. He was going after offensive rebounds. He wasn't forcing the ball. He was playing good defense. And, you know, he looked like a respectable player. And as we know, that carried over into the Oklahoma City game. So, you know, I, I just called him a punk, and justifiably so, but... He recovered from that, that game against the Spurs where he got beat for a terrible backdoor and he just didn't know what was going on and played three minutes to playing well against the Kings. And, you know, perhaps that talk that Scott Brooks had with him, because it wasn't directly because he was asked after the Kings game, what did Scott Brooks say to you? And he said nothing. So I think Scott Brooks kind of undressed him in the media and Oubre took it and ran. This is two games in a row. So maybe he's going to start playing more like the Summer League Oubre as opposed to what he was doing kind of inconsistently uh, the first few games of the season. Sneakus, yes, commercial break time, S-N-E-K-I-S dot com, Sneakus. Go to the website, check out their DMV sports apparel designs. Very cool. They have two brand new dope hoodies, DC flag, guy and girl. They'll be great gifts this Christmas time, along with 10% off your order when you enter Pixel Roll at checkout. Help support this Wizards Independent media. Now back to the show. Now we're gonna table Brooks and Uber because I got some takes on that. But we're gonna go to last night. Okay, we're shot. Okay, how long have we been following or writing about this team? How long? You tell me. Uh, tell, I've been writing people. about this. I've tell. been writing about this team since May of 2008 when I was a spry 33 year old. So eight years, right? I right. met. I met Kyle. Weed Eye, truth about it, who uh, is supposedly going to come on this podcast on Sunday. He doesn't know that yet, but I'm going to shame him to come on on Sunday with me because he has no excuse. I met him in a Bullets Forever message board in 2008. We hung out at a bar, and then we became friends, and then uh, he got press pass access in 2009, you know, the the season of, you know, finger guns and all all the bullshit. And then I started covering the game and got press pass literally right after that went down and the worst shit ever, uh, you know, or Andre Bloch and they were terrible in 2010 when they traded everyone. And so basically I've been covering the team, blogging nonstop about the team since 2010. So six years. Okay. But been a fan uh, for a long time, watching the games, all the pain. I used to write emails, comment sections through, you know, the whole Cavs and Wizards playoffs, whatever. And it got to the point, yo, like, especially even blogging. When I was just a fan before I blogged, like, yeah, like, I got all worked up and shit. When I became a blogger and I got press pass, you know, you kind of had to chill out a little bit on a sense because you still had to write it journalistically, but, like, you were still upset. It kind of sucked. Like, I actually envied like guys for the Washington Times like or Washington Post you know Mike Jones and Michael Lee and, and the people on con- uh Craig Stouffer 
And, like, I kind of envy them because, like, they basically just write their game story and, like, they'd be good. No, man. Like, I'm so pissed they fucking lost. And now I gotta write about this fucking shit. But every year you get numb to it, right? Okay, yeah. You know, they win 20 games, 30 games. You get John Wall, Yon Vesley, fucking, they suck. JaVale McGee, Nick Young, all this shit, right? Everyone listening to know what we're talking about. So the losses, like, yeah, you get pissed here and there. But, like, you get numb to them. Last night, bruh. It stung. The Thunder lost stung, Rashad. Like, like, like there was a way, it, 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 maybe it's like some girl, like, you know, like, yeah, man, you like date some girl and you hang out with her and, you know, it doesn't work out. You hook up, doesn't work out. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this like one girl that, you know, she doesn't call you back or ghost you or whatever. He's like, God, that one bothers me. Like, why does that one bother me? You know, there's just as five or ten just as worse. <laughs> but for some reason, last night, that loss, like, stung. And I don't know, like, how many other of these losses will sting. Because, like, even when they lost to Memphis, because what I said, okay, they are literally 6-11. and 11. They are a Gasol 3 and a Russell Westbrook 3 away from 8-9. and nine. And, of course, our good friend, Mr. Kyle Weedai, uh, truth about it, head honcho, he just, you know, he has to, you know, retweet my shit and, you know, oh, what about this game? What about this game? This game. I was like, no, dude. Like, no, no, no. Like, they had no chances in those games. Like, the Philly game, the Orlando game, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, you could even say the Orlando game if Marquise Morris makes that shot. They win that. But I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's focus. If Marcus, if Marcus Saul misses that three in Memphis, the Wizards win. If Russell Westbrook misses that three last night, the Wizards win. Now, we can, we're going to go into what really happened in this game. But did you have that feeling? I know you watched it at the end, and I watched it the whole way because they were playing so well. Like, I felt like it was the best they'd played almost all season. Things were clicking. Lineups were going well. And they're up 97 to 90 with three minutes left. And it is, and, and they indeed rust really, like, extremely well. And then Russ went fucking rust mode. And obviously, they outscored them. I don't know what it was. So it was 97 to 90. So they won, God, what was it? So it ends up being the Wizards scored 20, okay, what was it? Like 36 to 18, I guess, was what, is what happened. And uh, from the three minute mark to overtime, which is pretty crazy that in, uh, eight minutes that the, that they outscored them 36 to 18. But it was, it was a rough one because I was like, wow, like they have their finally, they played well, they deserve to win. Here it was. And it didn't happen. It just was like a tough pill to swallow, bro. I mean, I don't. Do you don't feel this? Do you feel this? Do you feel? I mean, do losses sting to you anymore? I guess go back to my original point. Uh no, they don't, right? Because they don't this year. Because I nothing stings. I mean, okay, let me a bit of a disclaimer. When I'm sitting down and I'm doing my job in blogger's role, I'm very objective. Okay, I, I handle myself like a professional, at least outwardly. But when I'm recording a podcast with you, drinking pumpkin beer, I can I can let a bit of fandom spill out, right? We're we're my yes. friends here. Yeah. And nothing stings as much as the Wizards not getting a meeting with Durant. Like when I, when I think about that, not the fact that he didn't come because that I you know I could deal with that. But when you don't get a meeting, when you don't get a meeting with your hometown team, that that's thing. So everything. The rest of this year was kind of like, okay, like I knew they were going to struggle this year, so nothing stung. However, what's a little troublesome to me is that what we saw is something that Tony Kornheiser talks about all the time is our John Wall. I know, I know, I know you hate that, but 
are John Wall and Bradley Beal superstars? Not are they all stars, but are they superstars? Because what we saw beyond all the Wizards' shortcomings and the bench and all that is that Russell Westbrook had another gear that he could go to. And when he was in that gear, he shut the Wizards down. He shut the game down. And Wall and Beal did not have that gear. They did not. They, they they couldn't go with him. Like one of them, they, you didn't see this back and forth Bird Dominique thing where both players are playing their best. What you saw is Russ start from behind after the Wizards got a head start to catch the Wizards and then blow right by him. And that's what was frustrating to me. So it wasn't. It didn't. The loss didn't sting. It it just pissed me off. Like I didn't understand why the play line got so conservative. Why all of the ways the Wizards were scoring, whether it was Ube from the outside or. The high screen and roll with either Markeith or Gortat, they just completely abandoned, and it turned into iso ball. And they both fucked up. I mean, Beal had that terrible drive; they turned it over, and then John Wall got caught in the air. Yep, and then John Wall had like, all right, I'm just gonna like uh, take that my patent fadeaway 15 footer from the right corner. That isn't the play. Now that they end up okay. Here's another thing too. Okay, so they end up great tip out by Otto Porter at the end of the game. Which, which gets a possession. They're up three, and Markeith gets the ball on the baseline. And if he just makes that shot, dude, this conversation is completely different. I mean, I know that that is what sports is about, right? Or, I mean, if Michigan uh, stops him on the first down, right? Uh, if they don't get that penalty, we can talk about all sorts of games. Even though I, th- I don't know. Do you think that he got that first down? Let's switch gears. Did you? Th- I didn't think he got to the line. I thought Ohio State got no. the call. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. You know what I mean? Cause then the, what's the, so just those one, like there's so many little mini plays that that play happens, you know, like Russ, you know, but, but anyway, but I think that still our points are overall, but you're right because it is okay. Yeah. We'll focus on the three of Russ, right? We'll focus on, you know, I'm talking about Markeith missing that, but then these other plays are just, just as important that they're up seven with the ball with three minutes left on the road. Like they had the momentum. They, they just needed a couple buckets down the stretch and the offense just didn't produce it. There wasn't the pick and rolls, running, moving the ball from side to side that we had seen throughout that game. And that's why I was excited about how they've been playing up to that point. Plus that was a tough shot but that Marquise took. Like that wasn't, a, yeah, that wasn't yeah, an easy shot. True. That's not it's a true. shot that he, I didn't see him take a shot like that at all during the game. I mean, most of his offense was coming, working from, the top of the key working his way down or, you know, kind of maneuvering in the post, not fading away from it. But, you know, they just, but again, who was playing well down the stretch? It was Ubre. What were the Wizards doing well? It was screening roles. And I just, I found myself thinking, I mean, not to turn it around Jaworski here, but I just found myself diagramming in my head, why not have a play where Beal is in one corner, Ubre is in the other, and Gortat is coming to set a screen for Wall? I mean, so you have, what you have is a scenario where Wall is going down the lane with the two best shooters for that particular night on each side. So, well, let's, I mean, talk, let's, you, well, well, let's talk about it. So, like, so, so Marquise misses the shot, okay? So then now it's it's a three-point game. The Thunder down by three. Here's Russ. So he's on the left side. He goes in. So Beal is on him, by the way. So it's not Wall. Beal somehow is on him. Beal then goes back, and then Russ takes two step backs to the left, and Beal could not recover fast enough. Which I don't know why he went. He should just let Rush drive, right? I mean, there's fucking like ten seconds left. So then he like he gave too much. I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna blame. I'm not gonna blame Bradley Bill about what's like the guard Russell Westbrook. I can't imagine. I don't even. But Adam, I don't even think that was the problem because that they're the Wizards are lucky that wasn't happening all game long. Like you had to know that that was coming. 
So that's not the surprising Dude, part. Dude, Russ was like 3 of 18 before he went fucking supernova. I mean, right. he, I mean he, had, he had made a shot forever. I mean, he had that sick-ass dunk. Uh, and John Wall, by the way, had a fucking amazing dunk. I vined it. You should go watch that one, too. But, like, they had this crazy dunk. Okay, so, but go back. So, so Russ hits the shot, right? So, let's go, right? So, it's eight seconds. So, we got eight seconds, tie game. And, like, the thing is... And we're going to go into this negative pixels, and maybe it's a way to segue into the next segment. Is that, like, like Rashad, like, did you have any faith that they would hit a game winner? Tie game, eight, eight, eight seconds left? I had none, actually. I thought, like, they are going to go overtime. Oh. Right? Is that, is, 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 that, is that another problem? I, I is that faith. another problem? Like, what is the bread and butter? We need a, it's not even like we need a bucket. We need to, like, you know, stop the run or, we need a bucket in the late couple of minutes. It's like, no, yo, uh, it's tied, eight seconds, you got the ball, on the road, what's the play? And what I felt was weird about it is like, Wall gets the ball off inbounds, eight seconds, and he kind of paused for two or three seconds. Why are you pausing, man? Like, So obviously, this is just an ISO for you. Let's get meta, right? Okay, earlier in the game, they had this play where, where Porter dribbles the ball up, Somehow, and Wall's in the left corner, and I get it, like, Wall should maybe have the ball at the end of the game, but whatever. This play worked. So, they come and they have this set. It's Markeith and Gortat basically setting a staggered screen on the right side, and Porter throws the ball to Beal. He runs off the staggered, comes back, and then they throw it back to Markeith, and then basically the Beal and Porter are running off, like, multiple staggered screens, and, like, they don't know. So, like, if you're trying to switch, it's really hard, right? Because you run off a staggered, and then it's like if you switch on Beal or switch on Porter, then one of them is open. Bam! Beal comes open and drains a three. Why don't they run that play? You know, because I try to pick up the sets that Brooks is, is doing. I was like, instead, what's the play? Wall pausing to wait for five seconds. Gets the gets the ball screen from uh, Gort. No, actually, it wasn't Gortat. Uh, Markeith was in. Runs it. Russ is trailing. It was really bizarre because if you go back to the dunk I was talking about, it's almost similar. And then Wall goes to the left and just goes right to the hoop and dunks it with his left hand immediately. This time, Wall gets switched off on a dude. Russ is behind, decides to like jump in the air, look for Markeith to roll. And Markeith is just like, yo, bro, there's like four seconds left. Like, uh, you have the angle to the hoop. So I don't know if Wall's going to miss it. Whatever. Wall had a chance on the left side to shoot that fucking ball. A really nice shot. Wall gets caught up in the air. Then I'm like, oh my god. Out of nowhere, Porter cuts from the opposite side and gets the ball. And then has an off-balance shot. And of course, he misses it. And it did, I thought maybe he would roll in. <laughs> it did not roll in. Because we're so wizards. It did not roll in. And then uh, the first uh, minute of overtime, the Thunder won an 8-0 run, and it was all, all she wrote. I just went off on a whole rant, but, like, what is our play, right? Like, what what are they doing? What are the sets? And so that's what you're saying, like, you feel like it's also coaching as well on the, these kind of right, things. Right, because at, literally at the end of the uh, of the Kings game, uh, Coach Brooks was asked about what he thought, you know, what the at the end of regulation, John Wall had an ISO play and it didn't work. And at the end of the game, Scott Brooks was asked what, in fact, Candace Buckner asked him, what's your rationale? What was the play? And Scott Brooks basically said, we, and John, we trust. He was like, I give the ball to John Wall and I trust him to do, to make the right decision. He was like, he's earned the right to get that trust. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, now I see why, uh, Westbrook and Durant didn't work in OKC if you have that attitude. 
because it's not about not trusting Wall or trusting him. It's, it's not about that. It's about you have a great shooter in Bradley Bill. You have a great screen and roller in Gortat. And on this particular night, you have a great uh, uh, a mediocre shooter who has the hot hand in the fourth quarter in Oubre. You don't just go from having that. You said they were playing well as a team. And so you don't go from playing well as a team to get up seven points with three minutes left. And then all of a sudden turn into ISO ball where, you know, nobody on the team is good enough to score one-on-one like that. You know, we don't have a boogie cousins. You know, John Wall does this sometimes, but in crunch time, he doesn't do that. And every time they missed in an ISO ball situation, Russ was going down the court and killing them. And that's why I just feel like at some point, if you're the coach, you have to call a timeout and you have to say, look, let's run this until that, let's run this down your throat. Just like an offensive line, just running it and running it. Let's run this high screen and roll and let's make them pick between John and Beal or John and Ubre or, or, or run you know, a sc- or have Beal screen walls, man. You know right, what I mean? Just you, do- you know what I mean? Or have a stagger, like have Otto and Beal stagger screen off of, if you want the ball in John Wall's hands, and that's understandable, John Wall, you know, is one of the best assist man in the league. I get it. But John Wall has not been proven to be a closer in this league, even though I love him to death. And me and you know more about John Wall than, you know, everyone listening to this knows the shit talking about John Wall. But dude, I can't even think about how many game winners John Wall has made in his career. Still. So like, that's wh- not, that's not his deal. His deal is he, just, just, I don't know. That, that's, that's what just made me angry. And that's why I told you I feel like it's coaching because I feel like you have to change the approach and you have to still get, still put him in a position where he's making decisions, but not in a situation where there's two wizards on one side of the floor and there's two wizards on the other side of the floor and he just has to drive down the middle. Get a little creative, create some angles for him. John Wall clear so, out, John Wall clear out is not working. No, but John right. Wall misdirection works all the time. Like if he's screening and rolling and he's zigging and zagging, that that's that works. Yeah. It works all the time. How many times, Adam, do we sit the first five minutes of a game and we're amazed by how easily uh, Wall is getting in Charles, the lane and Charles, giving it to Gortat? Like Gortat is scoring on these unbelievably open layups in the first half because their things are rolling and they don't stick with that. And mm-hmm. Dude, Rashad, John Wall does things on the basketball court that I've never seen anyone else ever do. Why is this not happening in the last two minutes of a game? Right? Like, I, I, so, don't, I don't understand. So that, I put that on. I don't put the loss on the bench because Oubre played well. I don't put it on the starters. I mean, they didn't play great. I put it on the lack of imagination in the last few minutes of the game. Particularly if you're Scott Brooks, you know that it's only a matter of time before Westbrook snaps out of it. And you just it behooves you to think a little differently because you don't have a Russell Westbrook where you could run a bunch of ISO plays and it actually work. You just have a different personnel. And so, so I, I, I also felt bad that's because what was blowing me. I felt like no, I felt like going, we were there was a different caliber of player whose coach knows exactly where the strength is, and we had one, and he didn't really understand. Not only did he not seem to understand the personnel in that particular moment, but he didn't understand what had gotten the Wizards to the point where they were up by seven with three minutes to go. So to end this, I was not shocked because you can see it coming. I was just disappointed that it played out the way that I thought it would. Well, well the thing is, is like, let's go into the negative pixels. They're 6-11. and 11. The next game is Friday night in San Antonio against the Spurs, who did somehow lose to the Magic the other night, which is a very bizarre night in NBA basketball where the Clippers lost to the Nets. Spurs lost at home to the Magic, and the Bucks beat the Cavs. It was a really bizarre night. Uh, I do not feel that the Wizards uh, will upset the Spurs. So we're basically looking at six and twelve. 
Then they play, they go to Brooklyn. Somehow the road trip is from San Antonio to Brooklyn. Like, thank you, NBA schedule makers, because that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and the Brooklyn just, like I said, beat the Clippers. Doc Rivers lost his shit for some f- freaking reason. And Sam Cassell, who should be the coach of the Wizards, uh, if it was up to me, uh, had to hold him back and he got all nuts and they end up going to overtime and, and, and still losing because Blake Griffin, uh, had it, was sitting out the game. We're looking at six and 12. If they don't beat the Nets, they're six and 13 to come home to play the Magic on Monday night. This is a very, negative outlook to look at that they are they are going to be six games six and twelve through through 18 games which is almost a quarter of the season <sighs> this is how we're starting the negative pixels uh do you have any comment of that before i go to the rest of the negative the negative items one of the things that, that pissed me off is that and, and this is going to be really negative but you can pretty much this is the negative but section, Rashad. You can say whatever negative okay, things so, you want to say. So we, we know, I'm sounding like Hubie Brown now, but we know that at some point between now and January 1st, Bradley Bill is going to get hurt. And what I was hoping is that the Wizards by that point will have, as Eddie Jordan said, harvest, harvest some nuts <laughs> and get to the point where they have enough victories where that maybe they're a what game. Kind of, what, kind of, what kind of nuts? Like, you know, Eddie, Eddie didn't specify. He just <laughs> said, right. we got to harvest our nuts right now. Pecans? So that, macadamia nuts? <laughs> so if, let's say, the Wizards have been playing good ball and they were two or three games roasted above Roasted almonds? I like some roasted almonds, not going to lie, but keep going. So if they're three games above 500 <laughs> and then the inevitable Bill injury happens and they slip down a little bit until they figure out how to play without them, it's okay, but they're not harvesting any nuts, Adam. And they're six and eleven going on six and thirteen, and the inevitable bill injury hasn't even happened yet. And so that's that's what has me feeling negative. Number one, number two, the bench is not. It's just it's, it's not good. Sadoransky has lost his confidence. Ubre is getting there, but Nicholson, Jason Smith, Mahimni, uh, Thornton. You know, Thornton would be great for a veteran team who just needs a score. Like, he'd be great for Cleveland. You know, he, just a player who can come off the bench, and all he has to do is shoot and score. Not so much for this team, and because Thornton isn't particularly athletic, and he's just kind of out there. And it's just when, when the bench comes in the game, you don't get the sense that there's a plan. It's just it's it's just bad. It's bad business. And Jason Smith, uh, I, I, I can't even speak on it. It's just bad. The whole bench is, is, is negative, and... It can be salvaged if Sadoransky figures out how to play a little bit better on the defensive end and Ubre plays like summer league Ubre, which it looks like he's on his way of doing. Then it's not quite as bad. You know, then you may want to consider doing what the coach of the Kings was going to do, which is basically he said at no point are Rudy Gay and Kirk Cousins going to be all off the floor together. I'm going to have one of those did say, guys. Did you say Kirk Cousins? Did you say Kirk Cousins? Freudian slip? God, you're such a Redskins fan. You're such a Redskins fan. I'm no such thing. I don't even like to say that word. <laughs> was, it like, was that those 450 yards that he threw on Thanksgiving Day? You're, you're, like, you have it. Boogie. No, boogie I'm going to tell you exactly what Boogie Cousins. Boogie Cousins. While, while you were talking, I was pulling up my fantasy stats to see how I was doing, trying to figure out was I going to start book uh Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr, and then we came back. Wow, to and I dude, was, you have both those guys? They're fucking lighting it up. Yeah, I was still stuck in it. But anyway, he basically has it so either Cousins or Gabe was on the floor the whole time. And I think that Scott Brooks may want to consider taking that approach just until somebody distinguishes themselves. So that's, that's another negative. The body language. 
and we talked about this before we went on, if you watch the Spurs, and maybe this is a bad example, but I don't think so, at no point when there's a bad play made do any of the players have bad language. Now, Popovich, yeah, he has bad language and he gets exasperated, but the players don't. No matter what, they run back, they get back on defense, they, they go down and they'll make the play the next time. And the two games I went to, I saw Bill hang his head when Wall went three possessions without passing the ball. I saw Wall just be demonstrably pissed off when Gortat dropped passes that he thought he should have caught, not really understanding that you came down three state possessions and didn't look for anybody on the fourth. How do I learn you're going to get me the ball? I saw Gortat get mad at Wall, get mad at Bill when he didn't get the ball, and then have this body language thing going on when he got taken out of the game before he thought he should be taken out. I see Markeith get kicked out of the game prematurely against oh, the Spurs God, of all God, people. Like God. it was, it was just completely selfish. There was a bad call against him, but there were bad calls all night, and he just got himself thrown out of the game against the Spurs, knowing dude, that I Mahini. Watched, no, 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 dude, yo, bro, like I watched it the other night on replay and saw that moment. Like I saw him tell the ref, like "fuck you, you motherfucker." Like I was like, I was like, dude, I literally, I saw his mouth. Like, so he got the T. So he got two quick fouls, right? One was kind of bullshit. The second one, he totally fouled the dude. But he was still mad about the other foul, which I felt was bullshit, right? Then he gets the T, and then he's going to the bench and says, fuck you, motherfucker. Like, that's what he said in his lips. And then he gets thrown out. Yo, dude, uh, we need you to uh, guard LaMarcus Aldridge, bruh. We don't need Jason Smith guarding. So now Jason Smith's guarding LaMarcus Aldridge, right? That's so selfish, correct? Well, he wasn't doing a good job against LaMarcus anyway. He no, no, Mar- no, no, come on. He's going to do a better job than fucking Jason Smith, like at least offensively. But like, he's going to make him work on the defensive end. But but you're right. But going back, I'm sorry to interrupt it. But, like, but it's like, why? what are you doing these things? Like, why are you losing your cool, right? And like, if you go back to like what I said in the preview on this podcast, what I actually wrote, I wrote a – go to uh, by the way, if you're still listening, truthaboutit.net. I wrote about Markeith Morris, and I said one of the challenges of the staff and of him when Markeith gets a couple early fouls, maybe one of them is bullshit, that he's fucking just checks out and that he's always got all these technicals and a way to channel his anger and his energy on, like, offensive rebounding or defense and not just, like, yelling at the refs and freaking out and having these moments. And that was an example of, like, come on. Like, that's obviously Marquis' fault. I blame him 100%. But this is, like, what I'm talking about, the challenge of the coaching staff to harness this. And this is an ongoing thing. I, mean, I think Scott Brooks actually talked about this, right? You were there. Afterwards. Yeah, he talked about what. Well, ironically enough, he talked about it after he got a technical too. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. And Wall, and, and Wall did too, right? Didn't Wall and Boogie? Yeah, Wall got one. Gortat won when he was like struck fell, by somebody in the crowd. Yeah, fell, no, he fell. Fell. Like, on the, yeah, that was actually kind of, Phil Chenier and Buck were just like Buck was like. How did he get one? He got up and got one. He should have got one earlier. I don't know. It was pretty funny. But keep going. So after the game, Brooks was like, we have to do a better job keeping our cool. He was like, I have to do a better job of keeping my cool. So that, you know, that that was, I mean, they won the game, so it didn't cost him anything. But that was just, all three of them, just unnecessary technical fouls. So So, so here's my other thing and negative, uh, Rashad, is that, (sighs) is that like Wallen Beal, you know, Wall had 11 turnovers. We talked about that or whatever. Since Beal has been back from his hamstring injury, he's been incredible. I think he's averaging like 28 points. He's shooting like 45% from three. He's shooting really good from the free throw line. He's getting to the free throw line. 
Like, he's getting his. I mean, I think the only game that he hasn't really scored over 20 is Orlando, but he had eight assists in that game. Like, you see Wall and Beal have this connection. You know, I know you were talking about their bad body language on certain plays, but there has been other ones that you saw the good body language, and we've seen this connection. And they're still struggling to beat the Suns and the Kings, bruh. You know what I mean? It's, it's like they're still struggling to beat the Suns and the Kings and the Magic. And they're getting beat by, you know, Spurs who are a better team. And then they can't figure out how to do it against against the Thunder. And it's just like, okay, wow. Like, these are about the injury excuses, right? So last year, we would sit there and we would podcast. We would write. We would talk. I mean, even preseason, I said, you know, coming off the high of sweeping the Raptors and, you know, should have beat the Hawks, that, hey, man, Wall and Beal are healthy. Hey, man, we'll figure the rest of it out. If them two guys are playing at their elite levels, then we'll figure the rest of it out. And I feel like in the last couple of weeks, you know, maybe Wall, you know, obviously with the turnovers and maybe he can shoot a little bit better, but Beal is playing at his elite level and Wall is having a shit ton of assists and, you know, he won the Orlando game, so you can't say that he's not playing really well. And it's like it's still not working. If Wall and Beal, the sidekicks, you know, Alpha, Dog, A and B, whatever, right? Obviously, this is the negative pixel section, and this is also the uh, small sample size, right, dude? Like, a couple weeks, you know, right? It's only been two or three weeks. Beal's on all full cylinders. Wall's at, like, you know, all-star level-ish. And, God, they're struggling versus these teams they should beat, right? Do, do you feel what I'm saying? I do, but, again, I still think this goes back to, and maybe this is the segue into positive pixels, well, we have a couple I, more negatives before we get there, but yes, you can say positives. It's allowed. Keep saying it. I, I, I feel like Scott Brooks needs a scenario when he has all players at his disposal, and so he can start setting up certain lineups. He, you know, he he's interchangeable. If they're going up against someone like the Kings, he knows that he can put Mahimni in a little earlier off the bench. If he's going up a team against like Phoenix and he sees that, you know, maybe I don't need Gortat, okay, so tonight I can push somebody to the somebody else to the four, I can put Otto at the four and be a little creative with my lineups. You just want to have that every player at his disposal every night so he can get creative. And he hasn't had that yet between injuries and restrictions with minutes. He hasn't had that. And so, you know, what if we're saying all this and we're just not happy with how they're playing but then in two weeks, everybody's healthy, and he gets a routine, and he starts to be a little more creative with the lineups, and then they start winning, and they start rolling. And then what if Wall snaps out of this little bit of funk that he's in and starts playing as well as Bill is playing now? Then you're looking at a very different team. Then you're seeing the Wizards surge the way the Pelicans are currently surging when they got all their lineups back. and then it's, Well, they got one player back, but they got a starting point guard back, which has allowed Alvin Gentry to kind of reshape his rotations and now he can do what he wanted to do at the beginning of the season and they're playing better true they dug a hole for themselves but they're now playing well and so i i think that that can that can very well happen for the wizards it's just a matter of when it does start to turn around how many games under 500 are they going to be is it going to be double digits is it going to be 9 and 20 like kornheiser says the wizards are every year it's just like where Dude, every every podcast you have to reference him, don't you? Just is, is are you Look, like man, you talk, you Tony talk about, is, is, is you talk, I can't help you talk, it. You can't see I talked I talked about you talked about Ubre poking the bear and the beast with cousins, and now you know you know my kryptonite is like Will Bond and, and Kornizer, and you you keep making these references, Rashad. Like like it upsets me. 
Well, do, you do it on you purpose. Know, uh, you do it on purpose, don't you? Do you want to talk about David Aaron Rodgers was on? You want to talk about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers' beautiful pass in the end zone where like the DB and the receiver didn't even know it was there and just landed right there. Like, do you want me to rub that in, like the Packers Eagles? I'm in, I'm in no position to talk about that game, Adam. I was working. Okay, I was doing Wizards things. Okay, I, I, I don't know what you're talking Go back, about. go back, go back. You said Tony Corrales. Keep going. I'm alive. Yeah, so David, David Aldridge was on the show, and David Aldridge was like, basically, he reiterated that the bench is bad. He said that this team is just not equipped to do what they want to do. He talked about how bad the attendance is. You know, the he, attendance? David Aldridge, really? Really? Like, come on. But he was just saying that there's not, given where this team was two years ago, the fact that they're here, it's just like, oh. you know. Oh, for sure. I agree with that. Right. So, I mean, it's... Two more negative pixels before we go on the positive and we're going to end this podcast. Here's the deal. It's it's going to be a positive later, but right now I feel like it's a negative. Is that McClellan plays well, right? Or someone plays well. You know, there is some sense of something happening. And like the next day, like, Brooks doesn't play them at all, right? Or he right. doesn't play these things. And I know that he's throwing things on the wall to try to figure out the second unit. But I also, at some point, I'm like, all right, dude, you got to fucking, you know, Fisher Cup Bay here, bro. Like, you got to get rid of some of these dudes. Like, I'm done with trying to figure out if Nicholson or Smith are going to do this. Right? Like, our right. like he, he's done. And I know he's still trying to find this mix because we're sitting there saying the bench is terrible. But at some point, you got to be like, all right, who was the best of the terrible? <laughs> and roll with them. I mean, maybe it doesn't matter because they all suck in that sense. But there has to be some types of continuity where a player's coming in that night and he knows he's going to play 20, 25 minutes. Instead, it's like Brooks can be like, yo, dude, you're not going to play at all. The next night, out of nowhere, you're throwing in and you're playing 20, 25 minutes. Yes, I know the professionals and blah, blah, blah. But, like, dude, it's hard to get a rhythm as a player. And now we're almost a quarter in the season and I'm kind of over this of him. I mean, I don't know the answer, but but I know that you have some criticism of the coaching staff, so I'll allow you that before we go in the positive and the finish. No, this. I don't. I just I I don't have a critic criticism of the coaching staff overall. I just didn't like the way they handled the end of that Oklahoma City game and really the end of the Kings game, even though they ended up winning. I just would like to see some cre- a more creative sets at the end of the game that utilize the fact that you have a player who can go either direction and who works well off of screen and rolls. I mean, we, you have a player, as you said, he does things with pocket passes that you don't see any other, you know, most players, well, there's some players, but he, he's in the elite in terms of operating out of the screen and roll and the pocket passes and knowing where to go. He is not the kind of player who just comes down and blows by people in half-court sets. That's what Westbrook does. That's not what Wall does. I'd like to see them be a little more creative with that. But other than that, I don't have I don't have a problem. I mean, Rashad, 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 like the Gortat wall pick and roll is the best play that this team has, aside from Beal with an open Beal or Porter in the corner on a transition three. It happened last night in the in the OKC game. Like when they're all when they're on the same page, Wall can read the defense and thread that needle like Aaron Rodgers style, right? <laughs> Yeah, he just had to go ruin it. But yeah, yeah so that—that's my—that's my complaint. Yeah. I, I think that at some, at, at some point somebody has to sit down and say, you know, this 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 ISO ball with Wall is just low percentage basketball. What can we do to improve upon that? Before we go, we have a positive and we'll end it because I know you got to go because you know you have a kid and a wife and I just have an alcohol problem. Bookhand said the other day that uh, Jan also or Ian 
goes by Ian as well. He goes by both first names. Did you know this? Mahimi? I, I was unaware. Yeah, yeah. He said it. He had a conversation with him. He goes, he said his mom calls him, or his mom or dad, uh, got, like one was from Africa. Neither of them were from France either, by the way. Like one was from Germany and the other one was from, either one was from Africa. It says that he goes, you can call me each one. I mean, I like to go by Jan, but I go by Ian as well. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you go by both? I was, I, and, and you know Buckhands, like he's all about, like he wants to know like how I pronounce your name and he wants to know like how physically you've, how you look after the off season. How swole you've gotten over the summer. Uh, Annually correct. You know how Buck is. But here it is, dude. So he comes back against the Spurs. You know, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, first game back order. And then now he sat out the last two games is inactive. <laughs> so, so our major free summer acquisition of $64 million has played one game and now can't play again because of sore knees. Like, this has to be negative, right? But you buried the lead there. It's not just that his knee is sore. It's the knee he didn't have surgery on. Oh, really? So, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. It's not the knee he has surgery on. It's oh the other God. knee. That's worse. Really? Yeah. It's, it's entirely worse. So, Okay. Okay. Let's go positive. Let's go positive. We're gonna we're gonna do a fast positive. Uh, where would this team be without Otto Porter? Yeah, I don't. He's, he's I been great like since the minute they announced they weren't going to give him a new contract this year. He basically went into fuck it mode and has been playing well on both ends. He's I, re- even I really, I really wanted him to hit that game winner just to like cap this, so we could just have all these Otto awesome stories, you know. He's been great, and he's and he has a little bit of a mean streak on defense. I saw it against Carmelo. I saw it against Kawhi. He's just he's he's more engaged. He's more physical. He's hitting open shots. You know, you know, so you know what we know what I'm impressed about the most is that like so one of the knocks that we had about him coming in the draft or whatever is like okay, Otto isn't athletic enough, right? Like you know, Oladipo went to and and you know I would have I would have personally drafted Noel. But Noel fell, whatever, and they drafted Anthony Bennett number one. Like, you know, fuck you, Gilbert. But I guess it, it worked out for you, you, uh, you slumlord, uh, you mortgage slumlord. Is that Otto, like, dude, he gets all these rebounds, bro. It's like, how, like, he's not really that athletic, but somehow he's in there. He's so active. Like, he's always been active in the passing lanes and the hustle plays. But this year, man, crashing the boards on both ends, like, he is getting, like, all these, like, rebounds, like, offensive and defensive rebounds, and that has been, aside from him, aside from him, like, knowing where to go to be like, yo, dude, I run in the corner, you know, hey, this is where Martel, Webster, and Trevor Reza got paid, right? Go to the corner, John Wall will find me, hit that three, Jerry Dudley, right? I'll get my money. If we go to the corner, John Wall will find me, and I'll get my millions of dollar contract, but I've also seen him, like, now look down at the line, right? Like, he looks at the line real quick and shoots a three in, in his cash money, and it's been really impressive. Right, I agree. I agree. Go back to Ubre. Okay, he had he rebounds. Uh, he had ten rebounds against the Kings. He's been active. He hit a bunch of bunch of threes. He stopped with his like driving. I know we've been like you called him a punk earlier. God, man, you sound like Kyle with your your harsh comments. Because Kyle called him like Javel McGee one game, which I, I can't believe that he actually said that. But because he was mad about some some play he made against the Sixers. But I feel like he's played within himself. He has a bravado. He's been active. And I've been really impressed of Ubre. And I'd like to see him uh, pretty much be the sixth or seventh man off the bench. Like I said, I hope that uh, Scott Brooks calling him out the other day kind of motivates him. But, you know, he got his first double double uh, against the, was it against the Kings, I believe. He got his first double double. I can't quite put him in the positive category just based on two games because. 
I and you and I talked going into the season. I thought that summer league had given him that momentum, and he turned the corner. And he still has this. He's still not like sometimes his drives are kind of careless, and or he thinks that if he hasn't gotten the ball a couple of possessions, he rushes rushes a shot like he's a rookie. So I'm I'm leaning more positively towards him because he's playing better the last two games, but. The jury's still out on him. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll wait. I, I'm going to say that Beal is positive, how he's been playing since he came back from the injury. Porter definitely is, is a positive, and that's really it right now. Uh, Sadoransky has come back to earth. Morris may not be the answer. Gortat still has problems with his body language, and John Wall is not playing as well as he played last year. I don't know whether it's because of the injury, because of the the restriction he was on i'm not sure what it is but he's not you know last year he was just he was amazing so he's, he's not quite there yet what's up this is the last positive pixels is that okay last night i just went off on a whole tangent now i'm going to be uh, hypocritical or go against what i just said but last night brooks goes small dude and he takes Cortot out he puts he puts markeith at the five and he goes he goes wall beal Otto and Ubre, and they played really well in the well. It was Gortat in the first half. Second half, it was Markeef at the five, and it was the best lineup this team has seen. Like they had run, the, they ran a break. Beal made a sick ass pass where Otto had a great dunk. Ubre was was running to the corners and he hit a couple of threes. He got a couple of steals. They had this athleticism that this team has all has lacked in the John Wall era around him. And then he tightened up the rotation a little bit, and it was working. I mean, it works. I mean, like you mentioned, like it should have beat the Thunder last night. And so what I'm hoping is that that this is the lineup that he finally says like at the end of these games or the end of the second half, first half or second half, and be like, okay, yo, like this is the lineup. This is not Nicholson or Smith or Thornton. Like we're running with these five or six guys, and maybe Mahimi is the seventh, and they, they need to find the eighth or ninth guy. I'm just hoping that this is what this team has. That's why I'm more optimistic, and this is why I feel like it's positive pixels. Now, it didn't work out because, you know, Russ went supernova on them, but I feel like they maybe Scott Brooks found this hidden nugget of this team of this mix with these athletic wings out there uh, with, you know, Ubre or Porter at the four. When teams go small, you know, everyone can really shoot the three if Markeith is on the floor. So you have five, five guys that can shoot the three. Or you have, you know, Gortat setting screens and four dudes spreading the court. And maybe that is what this team needs to do. Sands the bench and all the issues with the bench. But I feel like this is maybe the crunch time lineup that this team has. And we have less Marcus Thornton. We have less Jason Smith. We have, you know, less Nicholson or, or you know, to a lesser extent, uh, Che Burke. Do you see that at all? I do, but even I think that still goes back to we won't be able to tell that until Brooks has the full complement of bench players at his disposal. So I agree, although if you did notice, he went from that small lineup and then like the second half of the overtime just put Gortat back in. Yeah, I saw that. Kind of as, yeah. as, as a panic move. But, yeah. you know, I, I I wanted to give Brooks the benefit of the doubt that he, he will get better in that department when he has everybody. The other thing that keeps hanging in the back of my mind is he never got better with Oklahoma City. I mean, you can... I hear a lot of people I respect talk about how good of a defensive coach he was, but there was, there was no imagination offensively. It was just iso, iso ball. Uh, it was keeping Kendrick Perkins in way too long. But is Billy Donovan doing anything differently now with, with, with Russell? I mean, <laughs> I mean, 
No. <laughs> right? But he's not, but, you know, Billy Donovan didn't get fired either. Like, I feel like if Billy Donovan was on team number two, he would kind of conjure up some shit to do something different. Whereas, I, I don't know, maybe it's too soon to judge Scott Brooks, but I just, you know, I liked how he was willing to make changes in terms of who was going to start in the beginning or, you know, more Oubre or he didn't hesitate to bench and bury Trey Burke, but I just, you know, the the inventiveness at the end of games, it has to change. Okay. So We're not on this one. How much more cordial or professional is it to ask Scott Brooks a question compared to Randy Women about anything? Look, it is it is great. Like It's like night and day, right? It's not night and day. You'd be like, Randy Whitman, what's the weather like tomorrow? Fuck you. Hey, Scott Brooks, what's the weather like? Well, you know, you know what I heard today? Like, uh, it's a great question, Adam. Like, you know what I heard today, Lala? <laughs> there, was a funny, there was a funny part. I think this was, maybe this was against the Knicks. Uh, or maybe it was against the Spurs where he was... J. Michael asked Scott Brooks, you know, how many minutes was uh, was Wall going to play and during a back-to-back? And, uh, you know, Brooks started going into the sarcastic answer. He was like, well, if Jennings plays 10 minutes, then we're going to bring Wall in. And J. Michael just started writing all this down. And then Scott Brooks kind of hesitated and was like, dude, I have no idea. We just have to read the game. And it was just, it was nice to see a coach who has a sense of humor. But when he does it, it's in a, it's in a non-confrontational way when he wants to basically tell you that your question is ridiculous as opposed to Whitman who would just stare at you or not answer. So it's, it's as if, you know, it's as if we just, He's actually, I can't, I can't he's, actually, he's actually being a human being instead of Bobby Knight. You know, it's like, it's it's like, like a <laughs> dark cloud has been lifted, and we can actually ask any question and feel like you're going to get an answer. And even when he gives a bullshit answer, it's still done in such a way. It's like, look, I understand that you have to do your job, but I have to do mine. I'm not really going to answer it, so I'll, I'll I'll just you know nibble around the edges and give you just a little bit of what you want. I appreciate it. You know, I think I could be more appreciative if he were demonstrably better than Whitman in the win-losses department. But, you know, for now, when it just comes to the day-to-day grind of talking to him before and after games, he's, he's great. He's great. And I think that has that has a lot to do with how he is just personally. He's just a, a better person. You know, Whitman was never hired as this is the guy that we want. He was always kind of backed into a coaching job where he was the interim. And like, yeah, okay, we'll keep going with him. But, you know, they went after Scott Brooks and then he got fired. And I think that the time that Scott Brooks spent from when he got fired in Oklahoma City just going around to coaches and even Popovich talked about that, how he, you know, Scott Brooks came into the Spurs camp and he just really took some time to step away from basketball and look at it from different perspectives have made him – an appreciative coach. So when you talk to him before the game, you're getting someone who was completely off the grid for a couple of years and now is back in it and is just enjoying it. Um, with mixed results so far, but from a media perspective, I, I, I love it. It's just, it, it's great. What I liked about Scott Brooks of the night was Beal hustled after a steal. It was like late in the game, like in regulation, I don't know, like three or four minutes left and like Beal didn't get it and the ball went out of bounds. And Beal comes back, and Scott Brooks was so excited after his hustle and gave him a high five. And that's why I was so, an, another reason that it's lost stung so much, because I knew how much that victory last night would have meant for Scott Brooks. Right? And, and, and they had it. It was, like, right there. Talking about the, the security officers and the, and the, and the people. Like, they, when the game was over, he was standing there looking around, and some random dude comes in the crowd, works for the Thunder, and they, he starts chatting him up. Like, Randy Willem would probably, like, punched him or tell him what's up you know they it, 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 
I don't want to like dog any women to say Scott Brooks is great, but it is really refreshing. But it is still the bottom line, and you're right because Rashad, you will be back on this podcast in two or three weeks, and we will talk all the stuff about all these things. And we have talked for oh my god, so long, and I have to pee. Uh, which usually you have to pee too uh, around these parts. But uh, Rashad, do you have anything else to say to the people about this team before we jam out? Can we can we, can, can we talk about the new tribe album or uh, how the fact that like you got your shit stolen? That's fucking fucked up. No, no we got we got to leave with that next time. Okay, okay. New tribe but, album. Do you like the new tribe album? I love it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I love it. I mean, I, somebody asked me, do I love it because it's been a long time? Or do I love it because it's nostalgia? Or do I like it because it's actually good? It's like, no, it's actually good. I play how, would, how, it, I, how, how would you rank it? How would you rank it in the Tribe albums? I think it's number two, actually. Number two or three to me, I think. I think it's, not, I think it's firmly entrenched in number... I don't know. It's not number well, what's, one. What's your, what's your number one? Number one for me is Midnight Marauders. Yes, Number two is Low End Theory. See, I, I, think it's, I, think it, I think it might be... I agree. I think it might be better than that one. It's arguable. Then Midnight Marauders? No, 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 no. Then Low End Theory. Oh, hell no. Uh, <laughs> hell no. I mean, Low End, the, the best part about Low End Theory is that the beginning of Bugging Out, you hear that, wait a minute, uh, wife bug, can rap. Bugging Out, you know, bug it out, right? And so I, I'm not, the element of revealing Fife is not better than on this album, the element of revealing that Jerobi can rap. It's just not the same. So I think the highest it can be is number three. And I have a hard time even putting it number three because Pimples Instinctive Travels, their first album, was like my introduction to them. Even though Fife was only on a handful of songs on there, that's the first time I heard Tribe was on there. So I got to put it. It's definitely better than Beats, Rhymes, and Life and the Love Yes, mode. yes, yes, yes. What, what about the solo projects? Uh, no, that's a different. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's a different, because, that's, because you know, vibrant thing, man. If I play vibrant thing right now, dude, it bangs. Like girls want to fucking dance to vibrant thing. <laughs> but, but the solo albums were a whole like Q-Tip solo album for a whole different vibe. Q-Tip's weird, right? I mean, I don't know, man. That album still ages well. Oh yeah, it's 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 it's, it's good. I mean, that that was that was right. Yeah, that was like '99, I believe. Yeah, but Midnight Rider, I think, is definitely number one. Right. But this one, like. I don't know if it was like the beats or like, or maybe it was just the fact that like my expectations were so low, bruh. You know what so, I mean? Um, I, I, like, you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe I'm trying to put it in the, in the pantheon of the tribe albums because my expectations were just like, and then I started to listen to it and I was like, I heard some good shit online, right? And I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm going to listen to it by myself. Blah, blah, blah. And I literally listen. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've listened to a fucking full album all the way through and I did it. Holy shit. Like, this is fucking banging. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and the beats were banging, and the messages, and like, God, the raps were just as good. Like, they were just like on point, and they were making relevant raps, and like, they were using all sorts of like different levels. Like, and it wasn't forced, but it wasn't trying to go back to a relic to the past. It was like a new kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense. I have my own little style, but you like me because of my style. But also, like, this is what I got. What up? It also is bittersweet, though, right? Right, right. But, I mean, it was nice to know that they were able to record as much with Fife alive and there. You know, there was. it was nice that he was, you know, it wasn't like a, 
a posthumous Michael Jackson album where they're splicing <laughs> a bunch of shit in there. Like, clearly. <laughs> Machiavelli and Tupac, like, all of a sudden out of nowhere, they're like, ah, we got another Tupac album that he's recorded. I'm like, really? Right. right. Like, the songs that were recorded, you could tell they were done organically and they were done with Spike there. That That's the one thing. I think that's what made it so well, good. Well, too, did, you, so. did you hear that they, they actually made them all come in the studio, too, by the way? Like, uh, Busta Rhymes, Jack White, uh, they actually made them all come in to record. Who else is on there? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, Kendrick, Andre, Kendrick, 2000. yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, all, like, they all made them come in actually to their studio to record that. I read that. That's pretty well, you awesome. know, that's a, those are always, that's the sign of a great album. Like, I, like, two albums recently, the, uh, Kanye's My Twisted Dark Fantasy, when he was, like, over in France and made everybody come to him. And then, uh, the RZA and Ghostface talk about how the best Wu-Tang albums were done when everybody, they just rented a house somewhere and everybody was in the house. There were no entourages, no family, no kids. It was they, just them. They just, rolled the, they just rolled the blunts up and just kicked it? <laughs> right. They just made a good album because it's just easier to do when one person is writing a verse and you can look over his shoulder and say, oh, shit, you're writing that. Let me go write this. As opposed to just everybody mailing in a verse, you know, it's just, there's just a different vibe. So I, I've always felt like, okay, if I bring it a little closer to home, the podcast that we did last time, I was sitting right there in your living room. It just, it works better. You can kind of play off one another and, yeah. you know, as opposed to now when I'm just sitting here watching the Cowboys game, it has a little different feel. So you told me you didn't really like the Anderson Park. Like me and you, you told me your brother liked it. And I told you how like my, my boy went to go see him. In Silver Spring, and I told you it was like, "Yo, dude, this album is banging. Malibu is banging. Like, I liked it. I mean, have you have you listened to it again? Have you warmed up to it? Yeah, I don't like it. Man. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's good. Like, I really like it. Like, but I, I don't like I don't like my singers rapping at the same time. Or I just I, I'm. Do you I'm need to listen? You need, you need to listen to it again. No, I listened to it three times, and yeah. I just can't get into I, it. But, 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 but how, how's it like Drake's fucking doing all this singing bullshit or like I don't like him either I know, I know well that's fair Drake Cole I guess sings even though I like him but like I don't, I don't like him either yeah yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, who then like the Kendrick yeah I like Kendrick but he just, you know it's, it's more new rap like like who who else like uh, yeah I'm not the person like the last three rap albums I bought were Tribe Common and Daylight <laughs> that's like the very antithesis of new rap so I mean I'm, I'm not I just I'm at that age where it's just like with friends like I'm at after a, after a certain point guys don't get new friends oh I don't. know that might be it Rashad actually yeah. I know you gotta go dude people thanks for listening Rashad is the man uh, the Wizards play the Spurs the Nets and the Magic we will be back for a couple weeks go read Rashad's stuff follow us on Twitter thank you for all your support and as always go mother Peace out. Uh, uh. We don't believe you, cause we the people are still here in the rear, yo, we don't need you. You ain't a killing off good young nigga move. When we get hungry, we eat the same fucking food, the ramen noodle. This simple voodoo is so maniacal, reliable to pull a juju. The irony is that this bad bitch in my lap, she don't tell me she make money, she don't study that. She gon' give it to me, ain't gon' tell me none of that. She gon' take the brain to where the place she spit on that. But those are signs with it. Don't try to rhyme with it. VH1 has a show that you can waste your time with. Guilty pleasure, take the edge off reality and pull a salary. I probably do that just sporadically. The OG Gucci boots are smitten with iguanas. The IRS piranhas see a nigga getting common. Niggas in the hood living in a fishbowl.
hole Gentrify here, now it's not a shithole Trendsetter, I know my shit's cold Hands set up here because I ain't so over there All you black folks, you must go Talking about he hitting yeah. The only one who's hitting Are the ones that's currently spitting We got to Missy Smitten Rubbing on a little kitten Dreaming up a world that's equal For women with no division uh, Boy, I tell you, that's vision Like Tony Romo when he hitting with him The tribe be the best in eight division Shaheed Muhammad cut it with precision Who can come back years later Still hit the shot Still I'm trying to move you off the fucking block Babylon blood clot You upon your head top mm. Black folks, you must go. All you Mexicans, you must go. 